Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to a classic episode of Lunchtime Movie Review on the MHM Podcast Network from our original set of reviews from August 2011 to December 2012. And we are the children of the 80s. Back to lunchtime movie review, where we review the movies from our childhood. I'm Matt. I'm Bill. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. And this week we are bringing one of the classic comedies of all time, Airplane. But first, a word from our sponsor. Next time you're at LAX, stop by the whacking section at the bookstore and pick up a copy of Modern Sperm Magazine. With Modern Sperm, you can join the Mile High Club all by yourself. Bill, you got our uh, you got our summary this week. I do. Ted Stryker is a war hero with a checkered battle record. He made the decision to fly too low, and men died. He lost his confidence, and now he won't fly again. But he lost more than his wings that fateful day in the war. The lingering effects of his mistake drove his girl away too. Now she's a stewardess. That's right, I said stewardess and not flight attendant because this movie came out in 1980 in the days when you could smoke on planes and when the stewards and stewardesses still flew the friendly skies. Ted Stewardess is named Elaine, an absent-minded broad. That's right, I said broad, who dances to disco and whines when she speaks. She can't stand to be with Ted, and Ted can't stand to be without her. So when she boards an L.A. to Chicago flight, Ted buys a ticket on board, hoping he can convince Elaine to give him one last chance. Soon after takeoff, though, people start getting sick from some bad fish. And I'm not talking about wussy little stomach cramps. I'm talking vomiting, nausea, and unconsciousness. Unfortunately for the passengers, the pilot, Clarence Over Over, co-pilot Roger, Roger Murdoch, and navigator, what's your vector, Victor Basta, all ate the fish, leaving Otto the blow-up doll co-pilot at the helm. The dames on board, yeah, that's right, I called them dames, ask around if there's a doctor, and fortunately there is. Dr. Barry, don't call me Shirley Rumack, starts to help out, but realizes that if the plane doesn't land soon people will die his smooth talking convinces striker to give it one last shot to try and land the plane aided by steve i picked a bad week to stop smoking drinking sniffing glue and popping pills mccroskey and captain rex kramer ted takes control of the plane in an attempt to land fortunately for the passengers the rampant sickness constant sight gags and overblown satire aren't enough to distract striker who successfully overcomes his post-traumatic stress disorder and lands the plane safely in Chicago. Now freed from the effects of his PTSD, Elaine and Stryker share a passionate kiss as Otto the blow-up doll co-pilot commandeers the plane and flies away with his blow-up doll girlfriend. And that, my friends, is Airplane. Wow, who knew Very Casey nice. Kasem was so was sexist? Was Casey Kasem the guest... Uh... <laughs> 
reviewer there? I was trying to. I'm trying to mimic Robert Stack, and you know, let's like all Casey this straight Kasem. Men. No, you do a great Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah, Airplane, the uh, spoof movies to end all spoof spoof movies, or would it be the spoof movie spoof to begin all? To begin all spoof. Yeah, that's right. Now, which brings thing I was trying to think about: Are there any other spoof? Were there any other spoof movies, TV shows that you can think of before Airplane? Uh, there was Kentucky Fried Movie. Get Smart, yeah, Get Smart was a spoof too. Oh, very good, Get Smart. What was the other one you said, Patrick? Kentucky Fried Movie came out like 1977, made by the same people who did Airplane. It kind of made fun of a lot of television shows and stuff. Yeah, like commercials and stuff, didn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, K- Kentucky Fried Movie though wasn't really even a, a movie that had a plot from beginning to end. If I remember it, it and I haven't seen it in years, but it, it seemed to be more of a collection of scenes and clips and stuff as opposed to one start to finish story. Is that am I remembering it correctly? Yeah, but you just described Revenge of the Nerds too. So <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, guess that's was, a lot of bad movies. Yeah, but no, it so was like a of- it was a bunch of clips and just a bunch of independent. Uh, there, it wasn't didn't really tie anything together kind of like the onion as the onion movie yeah exactly yeah, ago, yeah exactly like the same. onion yeah yeah also this what abraham one of the same guys did uh one of the guys involved in airplane did that one too so all right uh when did this uh this classic spoof movie come out uh, airplane was released on June 27th in 1980. It was released the same day as uh, Stuntman uh, with Peter O'Toole and Herbie Goes Bananas, so no wonder it was a big hit that week. Uh, it was also released the same. Was that Don Knotts? No, that was Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. That's Lindsay Lohan. This is uh, Herbie. <laughs> yeah, Herbie Goes Bananas was Harvey Corman, I think. So fresh, <laughs> fresh off of. Whip, whipster. <laughs> Yeah, fresh off his success of Star Wars Holiday Special, he made our Herbie Goes Bananas, which essentially killed the Herbie franchise for 25 years. <laughs> it was released the same month as Urban Cowboy, Bronco Billy, Holy Moses, The Blues Brothers, and Blue Lagoon. Um, it grossed uh, eight, over $83 million. It was the fourth highest grossing film of 1980. Uh, it was right behind Empire Strikes Back, 9 to 5, and Stir Crazy. And right in front of uh, any which way you can, Private Benjamin and Cold Miner's Daughter. So, strangely enough, in 1980, the comedies were huge that year because just yeah. in the top seven, you've got one, two, three, four, five comedies. And if I remember looking at the top ten, I think eight of the top ten films are comedies. So, uh, in 1980, people were desperately looking for comedies. Well, it wasn't a very happy time. It's when they had all the uh, the Iranian uh, hijackings and. Um, the you know a lot of political turmoil, so I'm sure they wanted to get away from reality back then. Yeah, so Empire Strikes Back and comedies. Nice. What and about, that uh, was our summary of what was going on in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're coming off gas uh, shortages and uh, all kinds of types of crap from the 70s. So yeah, comedies were. Uh, going gangbusters uh, so as we're watching this the uh i don't know about you guys but i'm tiny when this comes out i mean i'm like five years old when this comes out so my only exposure to this was you know either on tv or uh, you know on cable basically when i'm a little older well i don't i think this was a big hbo repeat uh, show for a whole summer i saw this in the theaters i saw this in the theaters twice i remember seeing it going with my mom to see it one afternoon and then it being part of a double feature that I saw later in the summer with something else and uh, I distinctly remember seeing this and thinking it was hilarious and I was eight 
you know, a lot of the jokes went sailing right over my head. But now, I still thought it was funny back then, and you know, now obviously I'm getting a lot of the context that I would never have gotten back then. Yeah, the adult humor in particular, I assume. Did uh, anybody, when they saw this as a kid, find that young girl who likes her coffee uh, black like her men uh, pretty attractive? Oh, yeah, I was all over that when I was eight, Chris. <laughs> In a full-length dress. By the way, missed that line when I was a kid, certainly, and just caught it for the first time uh, the other day, and we were watching it, and uh, that was my favorite line of the of the film. You know what amused me the most, I think, about uh, this that I didn't catch before was just how absurd that this landing the plane was. Um, right before everybody got sick, the the distraction from the um, the pilot was uh, as you see we're just flying over the Grand Canyon, and uh, if then they have this huge emergency instead of landing in Phoenix or Denver or any of these other big cities. No, they're going to skip all these and fly all the way to Chicago because it's such an emergency. It just well, cracked they, me up to no end. They brought that up. I mean, it was perfectly understandable that there was a whole lot of fog all over the United States. I yeah. mean, that happens all the time. Yeah, there's so, so much fog in Arizona all the in time. In Arizona, yeah, yeah. There's, and Colorado and Kansas and Nebraska. I mean, that's a crap load of fog. It was 1980. There probably wasn't landing strips in most of those cities and stuff. But as, as I was going through it, you know, none of the actors really stood out to me at all, other than Leslie Nielsen, who eventually becomes, uh, you know, known from these types of films, the Naked Gun series and and whatnot. But but the other the other actors and actresses really. Really, I can't. I can't say. Oh, yeah, they're in such and such or, or whatever. To really all that identif- uh, identifiable. Well, Julie Haggerty had been in, has been in a couple of other comedies throughout the. You know, she was. I remember her the best from What About Bob. Like when I think about her as an actress, playing the wife of Richard Dreyfuss and What About Bob is like her most memorable role to me, right. aside from the airplane movies. But she was also incidentally, and, and I, I promised my wife I would bring this up. Julie Haggerty is uh, went to the same high school as my wife did. She went there obviously a little bit before uh, my wife was there, but was it, uh, a graduate of the same high school. So there's my shout out to uh, to all of the folks from Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati. Wow! Yeah. Do they have a Julie Haggerty statue out front? <laughs> the it's the it's I think the entire auditorium is probably named the Julie Haggerty audit. No, I'm just kidding. I, a big picture of her it's kneeling a, down and blowing the doll. Of her blowing up the <laughs> autopilot. Right. <laughs> but the uh, the old guys, I guess, are the uh, the straight men here. Those are kind of the well known actors. Just by you know you you recognize them, but maybe don't necessarily place them uh, you know in a particular film or a particular TV show. Well, I think we probably don't as children of the 80s because it seems that most of their prime roles occurred long before Airplane came out. And I think that was probably one of the geniuses behind this movie, that you take a lot of fairly well-known dramatic actors who had been in television programs or movies as dramatic straight characters, and you throw them into this very funny, dialogue-driven comedic film and ask them to deliver their lines exactly as they would have in all of these other dramatic 
roles that they had previously, but the lines themselves are just loaded with funny. And I think that that was probably the, the reason why this movie works so well, uh, because there are the sight gags and there are the things that you notice when you watch it back the second and third and fourth time that you didn't see before. Uh, but the most memorable parts of this movie are these very dramatic straight actors delivering these really funny, almost slapstick-esque lines throughout the whole thing. Well, and and they do it in such a way that they don't crack a smile or yeah. you know wink at the camera. I mean, they give no no key to the audience that now is the time that you will laugh. I'm giving no. They just pause and they keep going. And yeah. I think that's why it, it it is so effective in this comedy is seeing these actors, you know, uh, Peter Graves, Leslie Nielsen, uh, Lloyd Bridges, and Robert Stack were all well known um, television actors and supporting actors through the 60s and 70s who'd always played these dramatic roles and they came in and continued to play a dramatic role but what they were saying was just so hilarious and just that it without giving a pause that you know uh, I picked a bad week to stop sniffing glue you know and that you don't even you don't even expect that is coming because it's so off the wall but they don't stop I mean this it is rapid fire comedy through the whole film there were so many gags in this that you don't get them all and some of them some of them are funny but some of them because there's so many of them you can't you can't even process them all I think with one viewing this film is just made for repeat viewing definitely yeah I do I, I was trying to kind of compare this to some of the other uh, spoof movies uh, especially the most recent ones, which were every year or so they seem to be coming out with, you know, uh, epic movie. Disaster uh, movie. Yeah, right. Uh, scare, all the scary movies kind of re, uh, restarted this whole genre, I guess. But yeah, that they, um, but, but those ones, the, the gags are so clearly set up and then highlighted, whereas they don't do that in Airplane at all. They just let them happen, and then sometimes they're happening in the background and, and not often highlighted. Uh, like they are, and that's uh, I think what makes this one so uh, so much better than than a lot of the other ones. Well, and yeah, there's I, a real there's a real beautiful subtlety to a lot of the gags, not just with the way they're delivered, but you know you'll have when uh, when Peter Graves, the, the captain over, is at the um, airport at the beginning of the movie, and he's perusing through the newsstand, and there's some very normal-looking magazines, and then there's very hilariously titled magazines like Modern Sperm and the Whacking Section, and it's something that they don't draw attention to it, and you might even miss it if you're not paying attention, and it's just there, and it's funny, and it doesn't have to be thrown in your face, it doesn't have to be crazy with lights and sirens and arrows pointing to it, uh, and I think that's probably why this movie still does stand out and still still is something that you can watch you know here 30 years later and still laugh at yeah you talk about the subtlety i don't know if you all noticed it but the in the peace corps section or in the peace corps scene where they're there it's set in africa but the uh, elephant that's an indian elephant <laughs> yeah that one went right okay. by me that's probably the funniest thing in the whole <laughs> movie there man <laughs> Oh shoot! Well, now, I, now I know they weren't in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a kookaburra that can be heard, and a kookaburra—that's an Australian bird. <laughs> so, what was the inspiration for Airplane, or what, what was it based on? Um, Airplane is based off a, a television movie called Zero Hour, which is a black and white film. Which literally, this film takes the dialogue from that and puts it in here, adds a lot of jokes to it. But 
it, it, I mean, literally the same character names, same character, the situations are all there from Airplane in Zero Hour. And there's actually a, a YouTube clip that we'll make sure that we link into our uh, website so people can make the comparison. But Airplane was also created to parody the airport series of the 70s. There was four films that came out in the 70s. They all had George Kennedy in it. And they were all serious dramas where there was some sort of airplane disaster, either a crash in the ocean or a plane that couldn't get its landing gear down. And this film essentially killed that series because no one could take it seriously any longer because of the how well they parried it. Parried it. <laughs> how well they made fun of it with this film. Well, should we talk about our... Uh some of our favorite scenes, or is there something else about the film, uh, just from a movie-making standpoint, you wanted to talk about first? You have a favorite scene other than the elephant scene? <laughs> the, elephant <laughs> scene is the elephant scene is a classic scene, but I do have some other favorite scenes. Oh, f***ing unrealistic. That's an Indian f***ing elephant. They're not in Africa. <laughs> Hollywood cheaping out. Hollywood. <laughs> but first... If you'd like to uh, support our podcast, you can go to our webpage and click on Amazon and buy whatever you would like through Amazon, and that will support the podcast. See, I threw that in right in the middle so that people can't just turn us off and fast forward. F*** you listeners. I know what you guys do. <laughs> I was gonna say, did I just have a stroke? Did I go to the end of the podcast or what? <laughs> no, man. <laughs> yeah, no. We, that was, uh, that's what we call a teaser. Uh-huh. You're going to listen to our promo. <laughs> Hey, hey, Matt, I'm I'm not an expert on this kind of thing, but typically saying "fuck you" to the listeners <laughs> is not a good thing to do. <laughs> I think I'm going to support those guys now. They told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> if he says it with a smile in his voice, it's okay. Uh, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we love our listeners. Yeah. So please go to our website. Support. And f- you. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to buy something on Amazon because Seth Rogen told me to do it. <laughs> well, so, uh, Chris, what was, was, give us some, some of your favorite scenes. Uh, one of the scenes that cracked me up as a kid and cracks me up to this day is the scene uh, with the, the, the Golden Retriever, which is probably one of the nicest, sweetest dogs you've ever seen. And they've got it sounding like a savage, vicious dog mauling uh, the driver who came to pick him up. That one cracks me up every single time. For me, the uh, there, there was the scene with Captain Clarence Over in the cockpit with little Joey, the kid that wants to come up and see in the cockpit. And uh, there, there was a couple of lines that Over gives to the kid in the midst of this dialogue, this back and forth, that my high school buddies and I used to throw out at random times when we were just goofing around. And uh, So the, the captain's describing something, and then he'll say to little Joey, I thought those lines, though, were absolutely hilarious. I absolutely loved the the context of those. I thought it was just uh, a really funny juxtaposition of of the setting and the dialogue and the the content of the lines. Really well done. Yeah, I actually wrote down Captain Chomo was my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) I... um... There was a, a couple of the sight gags that I thought were were hilarious that I don't remember was the the black guys the Africans being taught basketball and then the uh, Girl Scout fight for some reason that just cracked me up when they were in the bar fighting. But my favorite line was the uh, one we already referenced where uh, boy asks if uh, how you take your coffee and she says I like my coffee black just like my men. <laughs> The other one was actually Ethel Merman. I thought that was hilarious. So that's uh, for you old folks out there. Uh, we got an Ethel Merman cameo. Yeah, her final film. Actually, be- yeah, her last movie. What a way uh, to go out. Man, you know, she I, is the un- unsinkable Molly Brown. 
I also really like the Barbara Billingsley cameo. You know, you've got uh, Beaver Cleaver's mother on the plane is the uh, lady who assists the stewardess by saying, uh, I speak jive. I thought her little uh, role there was kind of uh, well done. Well, we know that's Jason's favorite scene is the jive talking, but we did find out that the uh, there was something originally written, but the two actors got together and just said, nah, we can do this, and they uh, kind of ad-libbed the jive talk. Patrick, what were your favorite scenes? Uh, actually, what Bill was just talking about, that's probably my favorite favorite scene now. Bill was not just talking Sorry. about well, which, which one. <laughs> you were talking about how Jason likes that, but what the oh, scene yeah, Bill okay. was talking about... Um, just reading the subtitles and what they're trying to say, you know, like, oh, golly, or something underneath. Um, what I always liked when I was a kid, and probably the most, probably the most blatant comedy, was the Johnny character, the Stephen Stucker character, yeah. uh, who worked in there. I mean, he just always his his lines were so bizarre that they came out of nowhere. And as a kid, I always found him the most hilarious character in the whole film. I, now I don't find him nearly as funny, but. I like the the straight acting of the other actors much better, but that was this, this what I liked back then and what I like now. I also really liked a lot of the uh, the roles of these religious zealots that kept approaching the people in the in the airport, offering them flowers or pamphlets. And there's the scene when uh, I think it was when Robert Stack shows up and he ends up going to town on all these guys and beating them up as all these different groups approach him with different stuff. And uh, and, and then that combined with the David Leisure, uh, Hare Krishna characters on the flight. And David Leisure obviously became very well known as Joe Isuzu from the old Isuzu commercials. Right. But just the the role of all these religious zealots handing out pamphlets and leaflets and flowers and the and Church the of World Peace. The, yeah. The too. <laughs> right. That was funny. Was that, a, was that a direct reflection of like the, the 60s, all these, uh, these um, druggies looking for their alternative religions and stuff that was popular back in the day? No, I think it was just kind of an homage to the Hare Krishnas that are in the were in the airports back in the days before you know uh, the Taliban hit, and uh, they'd give the flowers, and and that's where they 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 ran their little games in the uh, in the airports more times than not, and that's why you have the the Hare Krishnas are the passengers with everybody else bothering everyone, which I thought that that's the gag I think, which was pretty yeah. pretty funny, yeah. Did anybody get pulled out of this movie by um, Ted Stryker's uh, reminiscing about the war? I mean, I know that was the point, but it really, I think watching it uh, the other day, it really drew me out of this movie. So so Ted Stryker's story, you know, the, the st- backstory of the war and, uh, you know, why he was there. I mean, it's, it's an important part of the, this movie. And it, uh, obviously it being dull is a running joke in this movie. But um, watching it this last time, I think it, it pulled me out of this movie many times where I either wanted to fast forward through the movie or I just didn't even pay attention to, the, to anything going on while he was talking. Um, it was a huge uh, distraction for me. Yeah, I there was I just found it over long. There were times when I thought when I would check how much time's left and I was surprised it's almost two hours long. And and I don't know if those clips or just it could have been edited uh, a little bit more to be punched up. Uh, that was that was one of my main my main complaints with it. So it does kind of go to that. Maybe it was the clips or just some of the scenes got over long. Really? You thought it was over long, really? 
Yeah. It, you know, I, I think it was an hour and 27 minutes. Yeah, it's it's a really short film. And I was, it an hour and 27 minutes? I thought it was yeah. like an hour and 47 minutes, or almost two hours long, no? No, it's hour and well, 27. If, That's if what if I was you, thinking. Uh, keep reversing the, the scene where the girl runs across uh, topless, that'll add a good 25, 30 minutes to it. <laughs> I did feel like it was a little long, so if it was only an hour and 27 minutes, boy, I really thought it was long. Yeah, that's that's kind of surprising because I, I when this film ended, I went, wow, that was a quick film because I watched it pretty much in one setting, and I was like, wow, that that film was over real quick, and I was surprised how short it was. I thought of it as much longer, and maybe it's just the sequel that I thought of as much longer because that seemed to go on for forever. So, yeah, my my other complaint though is is the jokes that. I guess that are some of the more famous ones, and that's the uh, the the emphasis on literalness. You know, the uh, "Surely you must be joking" line, and "Don't call me Shirley." I just, I, I know that's been that, that's always quoted, and and it's one of the most one of the most famous line. But I, I just don't think I would have found it funny back then. I just don't. I hate all the the over, uh, you know, you know, the gags with the the literal dialogue. I just don't find those funny at all, or, or witty, quite frankly. You know, I I still think they're they're clever. I think they're funny. Um, I do think that they kind of they go to the well a little bit too much uh, with the Shirley jokes. The you know the cockpit. What is it? You know the the, the explanation jokes and his uh, drinking problem joke. I thought that was clever the first time. After that, it it starts to to wear a little thin. So I agree with you on that. Um, you know, as an adult, I don't appreciate those. I think they were much funnier back then for the first time. But this film wasn't made for repeat viewing. This film was made for one time. You know, they, they never thought they were going to have the success that they did. So, well, and I think all of those gags, I think they were put in there to accomplish the filmmaker's goal, which was to cram this movie with a sight gag or a line gag every minute of the film. I, I think they didn't want anything to pass by without an attempt at being funny. And when you go to that length where you cram so much stuff in, some of it is going to be awesome and really great, and some of it is going to fall flat on its face. And I think that, especially with repeat viewings where you know the gag that's coming or you know the line that's coming, some of those things are going to wear and become a little bit more annoying, whereas they might have been really funny the first time that you saw it. Uh, they just don't quite stand up or last with repeated viewings over and over and over again. And, and it's funny that you bring that up because I read I I had written excuse me I had read a book about comedy writing before, and one of the things in the the book was that you need to you basically do all even do bad gags because the bad gags you may get a you know a, you know a little chuckle someone may ah oh, that was kind of cute or clever but it gets keeps people in the mood and it's something that as matt said different from the you know these kind of parody films that they make now where it's so obviously they're setting something up you can see it coming from a mile away and it's like a gag every couple minutes where here it's like just rapid fire and it gives you no chance to recover and i also think that it just played well that it gave you no chance to process everything i think that was probably what the genius of this film was definitely because the the parody movies that i remember from this time was like a top uh, what was it top secret top secret made by the same you know, people and, and it seems like the the main the the movies these days that are parodies fit more along the lines of that than uh, an airplane type uh, spoof yeah but top secret was made by the same i mean the same group of people i mean the same 
the same three directors and I believe writers made this and uh, Ruthless People, which I don't think of that as anywhere near this as far as comedy. I think that one was um, in kind of your typical comedy. I did think it was fun, kind of funny that Jerry Zucker, one of the directors, went on to direct Ghost. This is completely, oh, wow. yeah. completely different kind of film. Funny yeah, in a I'm different way. The other, the other director, what's his name? Abrams, Abram, Jim Abramson? Jim Abram. Abram. Yeah, he, I mean, all he does is spoof films pretty much. I mean, from the Naked Guns to, to the Onion, whatever. That, I mean, that's that's all he does. Hey, what and pays the bills? Hot Shots and... Yeah, Hot Shots. So, yeah, because they're easier to do. You don't have to think as hard to uh, come up with an original story. Yeah, it does, I, I agree with you, Chris. It does seem a little kind of like cheating, I guess. But to do it well is is difficult. One of the things I also really like about all of these movies that uh, Zucker and Abrams uh, Abrahams do, the airplane movies, the Naked Gun movies, the credits often contain some really great little nuggets of comedy thrown in there. And I remembered that really clearly from a lot of the Naked Gun movies, and I hadn't remembered that so much from, from Airplane, but went and decided as I was watching it this last time to make sure to watch the credits all the way to the end. And they had a couple of things. There weren't quite as many as they put in at the end of the Naked Gun movies, but there are some funny things they had. Uh, they, for example, included in the credits a guy who something like, it said something like uh, bosses lots of people around on the set, and then they had a guy's name. They also put author of Tale of Two Cities, and then they had Charles Dickens listed over at the end. Uh, and then at the very end, when they put the copyright disclaimer, they had the long, you know, copying, unauthorized copying of this is against the law, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, so there. So there's other little funny things the, furthering that idea that you fill a movie with a lot of funny stuff, and hopefully some of it will stick, some of it will hold. Uh, even if you lose out on some of it, if you've put enough of it in there, you're bound to find some winners, some gems in, in the whole mix of stuff that you conclude. Yeah, I did like uh, in that in the credits. It was instead of they have best boy, but they also have worst boy, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. All right, let's go around and see if uh, what our review is for from lunchtime movie review. Bill. Uh, yeah, I liked this as a kid. I didn't see it in the theater that I remember. I doubt I saw it in the theater. It was probably. A couple of years later, probably on an HBO showing. And I remember really liking it. And there were a lot of lines, like I said, that had stuck with me and became the common vernacular of the circle of friends I hung out with all the way through high school, where lines from this movie found their way into regular conversations and dialogue that we would use. Watching it back again, there were some things that I probably had found funny back then that just didn't resonate with me today but there were still I think a lot of really great gags in this and stuff that I think still really works and I think one of the reasons why this movie is still watchable to today despite so many of the dated elements uh, is the fact that it was very well done it was a smart comedy and they didn't have to shove everything down your throat in order for it to work and for it to play uh, there was a lot of subtlety in it and I really enjoyed the fact that the four main characters, aside from Ted Stryker and his stewardess girlfriend, Elaine, the four other guys, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, Leslie Nielsen, and Peter Graves, uh, all played their parts throughout the entire movie completely straight. There was never a smile cracked from any of those guys with any line they ever delivered. 
and it was hilarious. Uh, the dialogue, I thought, was really well done. Some of it, again, overplayed. But uh, I think this movie, I think it holds up. It, it wasn't great. It's short. It's not a perfect movie. But it's still a really funny, really well done comedy. All right. Who's next? Okay. Uh, I don't think I can add anything to uh, what Bill said. You know, it's it's got its, this movie has its flaws. But uh, it's a great movie to watch on a slow day, um, and it, it holds up better than the vast majority of these movies that are coming out these days that try to spoof things. I, I'd rather just watch this again than watch some of the crap they make these days. I echo what both of you said. I, I was surprised how edgy it was. You know, it, I thought that, was, that, that made it really funny, and not just like crude for crude's sake, but just, just kind of edgy. Um, I did find a lot of it witty. I, there were a lot of flaws, and I did find, feel it was a little long, but I but I do think it stands the, the test of time. Patrick? Yeah, I have a lot, basically the same opinion as Bill, that I, you know, I loved this film when I saw it as a kid. I saw it in the theaters a couple times, and then I know I saw it on HBO a few times after that. Um, I think the jokes still hold up. And even though the, some of the jokes are very dated for its time, you know, such as the staying alive dance sequence, um, the Jaws airplane fin in the sky, um, they're parroting those elements. So I think that that's why it can still play well today is because they were making fun of it back then. And that's why it's still fun. it's funny to us now. I'm kind of surprised of the, the over long sequence because I would love to have seen 15 more minutes of this film because I, I still think it's hilarious. I still think it holds up and um, I, I, I would recommend it to anybody who would think of watching any of the scary movies or epic movie or disaster movie, whatever the hell the movie is. I'd rather watch this 10 times than watch one of those once. Well, that's it for today's classic episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If there is an 80s film you'd like us to review, please send us an email at comments at moviehousememories.com with your name, your pick, and your location. And finally, if you are of the social media persuasion, you can look the MHM Podcast Network up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you do, please give us a follow when you find us. On behalf of the whole gang here at Lunchtime Movie Review, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, we have to get out of here and you guys are invited. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Lunchtime Movie Review fireworks is brought to you by alexander nakarada at serpentinesoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of lunchtime movie review the mhm podcast network and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise nope.